We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Patrick Moran, Talk About Flow Podcast here. Just want to let you know before we start the show today that I taped my conversation with my guest, Del Reed, pretty early on Thursday, early afternoon, and literally maybe a half hour after we had wrapped up, the Buffalo Bills announced that they had signed quarterback Mitch Trubisky to a one-year contract. Want to let you know that there's no mention of that during my conversation with Dell. I'll cover that topic much more on Tuesday. The only thing I'll say right here off the top is that I do like the signing. It makes sense. I know the first instinct is to say that Mitch Trubisky is a bust, and he is as a starter for the Chicago Bears. That said, though, don't compare Mitch Trubisky to other starters around the league, or don't even compare him to a lot of the backup quarterbacks around the league. What you need to do is compare him to Matt Barkley. I like Matt Barkley a lot. Great guy. Instrumental in helping Josh Allen grow and develop during his couple years here in Buffalo. That said, Mitch Trubisky is just straight up a better quarterback. The biggest issue with the Buffalo Bills that we don't talk about enough is if, God forbid, Josh Allen goes down with a major injury, season's over. If Matt Barkley's your quarterback, you're not winning. Season's over. Mitch Trubinsky, he at least gives you a, a fighting chance. So that's important. That's why I like the signing. And again, I'll talk more about this on the show Tuesday. Just want to let you know so you're like, where's the Mitch Trubisky conversation with me and Dell? There is none because it happened after we had tape. On that note, enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to the future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Big thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen and download. Support the show means a world to me. 
If you have not yet subscribed, you know what? Please go ahead, literally, before you do anything else, whatever platform you're listening to this on, and if you're not subscribed, go ahead and do that right now. I've been telling you guys for quite a while now, so we've been doing Tuesday and Friday episodes. Tuesday is a random show. I'm going to have a variety of different guests on. Fridays, I'm calling them, including today, Dell Friday. I'm going to have Dell Reed, the owner of 26 Shirts and the co-founder of what we know today as Bill's Mafia. He's going to be on every Friday with me, including today. But besides those Tuesday and Friday shows, we are also doing bonus episodes. Those are going to be random and they're going to be scattered throughout the month. And we did one Wednesday. First ever Emerge Pod on this podcast. The Buffalo Sabres fired head coach Ralph Kruger. And I had Joe Yurden on with me, and we had reaction from him. Really good stuff. And again, when you subscribe, and this is one of the reasons why I ask everyone to subscribe. If you subscribe, when a new episode comes out, whether it's the regularly scheduled Tuesday or Friday episode, or whether it's a, a Monday or a Wednesday or Thursday, even a weekend random episode, a bonus episode, it's going to get sent to you automatically. You won't miss it. Whether it's your, your iPhone, your Android, your, uh, your laptop, your iPad, whatever it is that you listen to these podcasts on, you'll get it sent directly to you. So definitely subscribe to the podcast. I got Del Reed on with me. And, you know, l- let me say this. Because some people have said, well, what's up with you having Dell on the show every week? There's lots of reasons, but maybe the biggest one is this. I consider Dell, this show is called Talk of Buffalo Podcast. It's not all about Buffalo, but it's focused on Buffalo and who out there today that you know is a better representative of, of Buffalo? And by Buffalo, I of course, I also mean Western New York. But who's a better, more qualified person to represent Buffalo than Del Reed? Seriously. I can't think of many people at all. I consider Del Reed one of Buffalo's favorite sons. I know that might sound weird to say that, but that's how I feel, man. Del Reed is one of Buffalo's favorite sons. I think he is one of the ultimate ambassadors to Western New York. Everything he does, everything he's involved in, how much he cares about Buffalo, the Western New York community, what he does for it, it's just so admirable. And those are the kind of people that I like hearing from. And I'm sure a lot of you listening like hearing from as well. Dell is not like the most qualified person to talk Buffalo Bills on earth. He's a fan and he doesn't try to be anything else but a fan. You know, if this, if you want nothing but straight up Buffalo Bills talk for an hour, then you know what? There's better podcasts, frankly, on Friday for you to listen to. Locked on Bills, the Bruce exclusive, the guys that cover one, the Rock Powell Report. There's a ton of great podcasts that are focused pretty much exclusively on Buffalo Bills football. And I would recommend listening to all those regardless. But you get my point. Dell loves the Bills and we talk Bills. But, you know, he's not, he's not Bruce Nolan and, he, and he's not Joe Marino and he's not Greg Thompson or these guys. He don't try to be. And that's kind of what I like about him. I think it's pretty cool to hear from a fan. Sometimes I want to get a fan's perspective. If I want a media person's perspective on, on a team, the Bills, the Sabres, whoever, well, guess what? I'll have a media person on. But sometimes I want to have a fan perspective. So that's why Dell's perfect for this segment on Fridays that I like to call Dell Friday. So, of course, we're going to talk Buffalo Bills. But we also talk 26 shirts. So now, 26 shirts puts out, it used to be every two weeks they put out a shirt. 
they're putting out a shirt every week now. And as many of you already know, they sell a shirt and a portion of those sales goes to a very worthy person or cause, somebody who's having to overcome some adversity right now, whether it's health, all kinds of stuff, all right? Anyway, one of the things that we're going to do on the show every Friday is spend at least a couple of minutes talking about this week's campaign, which by the way, this week's campaign is a t-shirt, Brandon the Builder. It's really cool, man. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Go to 26shirts.com. You'll love the shirt. But anyway, we'll talk about the shirt. We'll talk about the person behind the shirt, like what the shirt, the causes for this shirt, stuff like that. So we will talk 26 shirts and the meaning behind it, the process of putting the shirt together, hiring the, you know, commissioning the designer. If, if it's an outsider, talking about so many emotional aspects of being involved with the families of these people that need help, stuff like that with Dell. So we'll do that. We'll talk bills. We'll talk Buffalo stuff every week. And we also do some regular segments, which quite frankly have little or nothing to do with Buffalo sports, which is cool. I kind of like doing stuff like that. Um, one of them is I was this year's old or today's years old, I should say. I'm sorry. Basically what that is, is Dell and I each week are going to come up with something completely random that we were this week's or this today's years old when we learned it, like something we didn't know before, like over the past couple of days, something brand new that probably a lot of other people did that we didn't. So we're going to do that. We do something called fun with polls where I put results from certain polls that are out there, whether it's sports or pop culture. And we kind of react to what the results were. And then we do a Dell's Fay five every week. He's going to list a top five of something. I give him a topic each week. And again, this is completely random shit here, folks. Last week, we did chocolate bars. This week, I get Dell's fave five when it comes to 80s movies. And by the way, that was a lot of fun. So I just want to let you know what this podcast on Fridays generally is going to be about. And one last thing too. So we're still kind of working the kinks out a little bit with this whole Dell Friday thing. Some segments will get put in, some new stuff each week. And we're kind of like building a little bit of a, a chemistry together. And chemistry takes some time. So as this goes on, you know, maybe we'll talk over each other a little bit less. Things will be a little more crisp. It's not, don't get me wrong. It's not bad now. In fact, it's perfectly fine. But these are just things over time and repetition that we'll work on and we'll flow a lot more smoothly. Also. Dell sounds fine, but he will have a mic next week. There's a, the sound is fine. The chemistry is fine. These are things we'll get better at. The content is great. And that's what I think matters the most. So anyway, without any further ado, this week's Dell Friday. Here we go. My chat with my man, Dell Reed. All right, Dell Friday. I'm with Dell Reed. Every Friday on the podcast. What's going on, Dell? How you doing, buddy? How are you, my friend? I'm good. A lot, a lot went down right after we, we recorded uh, <laughs> last week. It did. Oh my God. So for people who did not catch the show last Friday, Dell and I were talking Buffalo Bills. And at the time, I, I would say a good chunk, probably the meatiest chunk of our conversation was about will the Buffalo Bills sign either Matt Milano or Daryl Williams? One or the other, which of the two would you rather have? Which <laughs> people didn't hear that. You know why they didn't hear that, Dell? Because we taped that, I don't know, in the afternoon and literally not maybe 45 minutes at the most after we were done taping, 
I got everything all set up. The Bills announced that Matt Milano resigned a four-year, $44 million deal. I was like, wow. Didn't see so, that coming. What? What's up? I was like, so what do we want to talk about today that we can manifest for the Buffalo Bills tomorrow? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Something, <laughs> might, something might come up on its own. So I got all panicked. I'm like, oh, shit, man. This is the first week that I got Dell on with me. We're doing Dell Fridays here. And I'm like, we spent a lot of time talking about Matt Milano, which to your credit, if I remember correctly, you said if you could only have one of the two that you would, I think, I think you said you would take Milano. One of us did. I, I honestly don't remember. But my point is this. I got kind of sent into, oh, crap mode. And I, re, I pre-recorded, or not pre-recorded, I recorded something to splice into it. So I kind of interrupted our interview to say, hey, we taped this during the day. And since then, Matt Milano happened and a couple of comments. And I had to kind of splice that into uh, our interview. But anyway, it, it turned out to be a moot point, bro, because they re-signed Milano. They re-signed Darrell Williams. And then for good measure, they re-signed John Feliciano. So none of those guys got, they didn't even get to the market. I don't know. It just shocked me, man. How, how surprised are you? They've re-signed all three of their biggest free agents. Not just they re-signed them, but they didn't even get to the market, man. Uh, you're pretty surprised by that? Yeah, I think it just goes to show you that the salary cap is an abstract concept when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of uh, massaging that can be done to to make things happen. And Brandon Bean, man, he's something else. He is. I, I'll tell you this too. Two of the three signings for sure are no brainers. Like if you ask a fan, do you like this signing or not? I mean, Matt Milano's a no brainer. The defense was better with him without than without him. That's not even a debate. I don't know how somebody can even argue otherwise. When it comes to Daryl Williams, and we talked about this a little bit last week, the Bills haven't had stability at that position in years. And I mean, plenty of years. They would have a guy like Seantro Henderson or something like that come and have a good year. They got somebody would show promise and then they'd fall off and they'd be right back to, to where they were. So locking up Daryl Williams to me was a no brainer. They're pretty good contracts too. They're pretty team friendly actually. If there's going to be a debate about one of the guys, maybe I could see Feliciano because you could make a case that, you know, maybe they could do better. They could have done better, I should say, in the free agent market than Feliciano. Not that he's a bad player, but some people don't think he's, they think he's a little bit overrated, I, I, I guess. My, my take is maybe they could have, but you know what? The continuity of, of the offensive line matters. The players like him. He likes being in Buffalo. He's a good player. He can play center, so he's got versatility. So I, I really liked all those moves. And I'll tell you what, we're going to talk Buffalo Bills uh, in just a few minutes, some of the things that they've done this week so far, which based on what happened last week, I need to throw this out here before we even move on to anything else. Dell and I are taping this. We had to kind of coordinate our schedules for when we can get together at the same time, what works for Dell. Dell's a busy guy, man. And uh, so we're taping this like eh, shortly before lunch on Thursday afternoon. Something can happen. We found out last week that it, that it might. If it does, maybe uh, depending on when, I might jump in again to kind of insert what happened or I'll have something at the very beginning. I'll pre-tape uh, the intro much later than this. So anyway, 
everything we're talking about is as of lunchtime when it, on Thursday afternoon. We'll swing back to that in a minute, though. 26 shirts. So you got a new shirt out this week. You have a new shirt out every week. They're two-week campaigns, but you're rolling out a new shirt every week. And one of the things that I wanted to do here every week with you on the podcast is kind of highlight um, the shirt that rolls out that week and get your take on it and maybe ask you a, a follow-up question or two. So anyway, the shirt this week, being the builder, which by the way, is really clever. It's really sweet. I love it. Like that Bob the Builder theme. This is available through March 28th. And again, we talked about this last week. A lot of people enjoy the shirts. They look great, but it's also important to kind of highlight the reason behind the shirt and, and what it benefits. And this week, and I'm going to read the passage, uh, Trenton Washburn is a ninth grader at Perry High School, was diagnosed with B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia on August 12th of last year. Trenton is currently undergoing chemotherapy treatment for the next two to three years. Trenton loves to play football and baseball. His favorite sports team is the Buffalo Bills. And he especially likes Stefan Diggs. Who doesn't like Stefan Diggs? <laughs> <laughs> in his free time and, and when he's feeling good, he loves to play Xbox with his friends online. If he's not doing that, he likes watching his favorite movie, The Sandlot. Leukemia is a cancer of blood forming tissues, hindering the body's ability to fight infections. He has needed several blood and platelet transfusions and will need more throughout his treatments. Funds raised will help his family with medical insurance costs, gas, or car maintenance, and to care for him when he is sick. His family would like to thank everyone for all the love, support, and prayers during this difficult time. Again, I mean, when is it not a good reason? When is it not worthy and not, you know, a good campaign? But just, I don't know, speak a little bit about, about Trenton and uh, part of the reason why he, you decided that this was a, a good, worthy campaign. Yeah, no, it, this one's tough, man. Uh, my daughter is his same age, his same grade. Uh, so that really kind of hits home for me just in terms of relatability with the the parents' situation, you know, with the mom. And, um, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I shared in interviews in the past and, you know, part of the, I think the subconscious inspiration for 26 years to begin with was in 2011 my, my daughter had a she was diagnosed with a seizure condition uh, you know you know thankfully she's grown out of it uh it was more than just like a febrile seizure like like some kids will have when they have fevers like little kids and everything this was something that they could actually like quantify and you know observe in her brain activity and everything and i just and i am not equating her situation with trends at all just right. to be clear um, but I remember being at the doctor, like completely confounded, you know, this, you know, perfect child of mine uh, wanting to just hand her to the doctor and say, just bring her back to where she was yesterday. You know, just give me, give me normal back. Obviously you don't, you don't get that. But, um, like I said, she's since, you know, grown out of it, you know, praise God. But, um, I just remember that confusion and that fear at the doctor's office, not having any idea what the story was with her. And so, you know, my heart breaks for these different parents. Uh, when, when, when we do campaigns for, for children, my heart breaks for these parents because, you know, it just, it definitely upsets the apple cart, right? You yeah. know, and uh, we just don't want to do whatever we can, you know, to show love and support to these families. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And obviously the money is, I mean, that's 
we talk about it all the time, the money we raise and, you know, a million dollars raised and, and all that, but it's more than that. It's, we're trying to provide a conduit for the community at large to, you know, figuratively wrap their arms around this family and show them love. Uh, and so uh, a situation like this with, with, with Trent and what he's dealing with, you know, this is just back in August, man. You know, he was living a normal life up until, you know, August 12th. And now he's finds out, oh, you're going to be on chemo for the next two or three years. So enjoy the rest of your high school, you know, career. It just breaks my heart, you know. And like I said, that's why we exist is to help families in situations like these. And you know what? You bring up a great point as well. It Obviously, the money is very important, but it, it goes beyond just the money. Like you said, serving as a conduit is a. Uh, Something that, that matters a lot too. This is what I want to ask you before we dive into Bill's talk. So people see each week, the shirt comes out, it hits your website, it hits Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be. And, and they're like, all right, well, this is a shirt this week. This looks cool. I want to buy this. I want you to take people behind the scenes a little bit, like kind of like what goes into your process of selecting what that campaign is going to be like which one comes next like selecting who you're going to commission to do the design stuff like that like i'd love to know and i'm sure a lot of people listening would love to know the process again we see the product um let's talk about like the process like for an example this one for treading like what's the process like kind of from start to to where we see the final product available for purchase Sure. Yeah. Well, there's two parallel paths here, right? There's the path of the design and then there's the path of, you know, the beneficiary. So the, uh, let's start with the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we have a waiting list and people say like, how do I, you know, apply for help? And, you know, we've not really ever formalized that process because we had an audience pretty much since we launched, you know, thanks to, you know, just, you know, my social media reach and everything. Um, so there, we've always had like a, three to four month waiting list, <laughs> like always just since the jump, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of who gets to go when, uh, that's a lot of factors. And I don't have like a formula per se, you know, it's, it's a mix of first come first served. Um, and, but also priority of need, you know? So, um, if somebody's in a really bad situation and we just found out about them like a couple of weeks ago, we're going to do everything we can to work them in as quickly as possible. And I do, I do my best to explain that to, to everybody as we kind of onboard them onto that waiting list. But uh, that's probably the best way to describe it, you know, just a, a mix of those two factors. And uh, we do our best to make sure that, you know, we do a little bit of research on our end to make sure that, you know, anybody who's requesting assistance, you know, uh, deserves it really, you know, deserves probably the wrong word to use here, um, is a fit. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. we're here to help with specific, you know, medical needs or like a house fire or something like that. And it's not something you know, where it's more of like a, like a flippant kind of need, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense. I hope, but, um, but it's, you know, it, it, we don't turn too many people away because, you know, everybody's situation is, you know, um, important to them. You know what I mean? It's important in, for a lot of different factors, but all that to say, um, we really just want to provide help how we can. So that's, if I don't know if that answers your question about the beneficiary path. It does. Um, it's not, it's nothing too complicated. I mean, I'm, I'm giving it way too many words right now for what it is. Just people ask for help. We put them on a list and depending on how, you know, dire the situation is, we, we try to bubble them up as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. 
the design end of things, this is where it's <laughs> great example is the one we're doing right now, being the builder, right? We yeah. had that one scheduled for the draft, right around the draft. That's when we were going to launch that one. And, you know, we, you know, we have, in terms of the artists, we have a mix of freelancers. And then we also have Josh, who is our creative director over here. And since we're now doing them since this past November, we're now doing them every week. We're using freelancers more and more just because, I mean, Josh is just one guy, right? You know, so, um, and it's, it's good though, because I really enjoy involving other people in the process. So in this case, Carl Cortez, uh, awesome artist that we've had the pleasure of working with a bunch. You know, I had this idea of being the builder based off of Bob the Builder. And I knew Carl was the one that could bring it to life, you know, quickly and effectively. And he did. <laughs> he's, he's an awesome guy. He's awesome to work with. But like I said, we had that one scheduled for, you know, just I think the week leading up to the draft. And then as we talked about at the outset of this podcast, uh, Brian Bean worked some magic <laughs> in terms of keeping those three free agents. And my staff is right. awesome. You know, we threw, you know, I said, guy, it was like probably like 3.30 to 3.15 on Friday. And I was like, guys, we got to, we got to do this one next because, you know, we were, we were talking about, it. it's like, well, you know, people will still love him in, in April, you know, when, you know, when we have it scheduled for, but I was like, yeah, but people love him now. So let's strike while the iron's hot. You know, it's, we, that's the whole point of doing this. We try to keep things as timely as possible. And so my awesome staff, and I'm not just saying that because one of them is here in the room with me right now, my awesome staff threw together uh, a photo shoot real quick. We had, the two most recent new hires, they got drafted. Like, you're modeling the shirts. <laughs> so we uh, <laughs> threw that together. And, I, you know, we had it all set to go probably by right around uh, 4.55 on Friday. And then we all went home. It was great. But it's fun. It's, so it's, it's a lot of, lot of moving parts when it comes to this. You know, we try to have four or five designs always kind of, like, lined up, ready to go. And then, you know, if something happens, like, say, you know, our favorite team's quarterback jumps over a linebacker and we move heaven and earth to make sure we have a design and design put together quickly, you know, to, to. So the to shirt designs, that, the but, shirt know. designs, there's a lot of decisions that go in. I'm not in terms of, you know, you might have something planned for a couple months down the road, but then something comes like you just talked about with being and it really, uh, you know, that'll move it up the ladder or something that you might not have had a thought of, of having designed. Cause as soon as you said Josh Allen jumping over a linebacker, I'm like, yeah, you know, you didn't think of that Sunday morning when you woke up that day, but probably by Sunday night, you're like, oh crap, man, we got, we got something new to, to work on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was finishing the product listing for that specific design, Hurdle Avenue uh, at 1155 Sunday night, I finished getting it all set up. Wow. So we were, you know, our creative director, Josh, who is normally our pinch hitter for stuff. He was out of town celebrating his birthday um back when you're allowed to do that and uh i found a you know well i didn't find I, I i know one of our freelancer guys dave would do an excellent job with it so i hooked up with dave and i was like yo we got plans for the next six hours or whatever long you know and he's like let me just i, I could do it but i gotta put my kids to bed and then i can i can handle it um so i was like oh jeez, oh man okay so like but so probably between like eight and you know 11 o'clock he put that design together I got the product listing together. We got it live, but yeah, there's a lot of, it's, it, this is not a nine to five operation. At least not for me, you know, you always got to be ready to, to, to scramble, but we try to have things set up ahead of time, different designs in, in our hopper, which we can shuffle around. And then we have to push them back because like I said, the quarterback jumped over somebody, then we do that, you know, but 
it's it's a lot of fun to do it and the creative process honestly is an absolute blast you know outside of helping the families it's the most fun part of all this i have no artistic talent but you know i'm able to come up with some corny ideas and then (laughs) people are able to execute them and sometimes designs show up like fully formed in the inbox you're like oh yeah thank you that'll work great you know stuff like that so it's just it's it's a lot of fun i feel like you know because speaking frankly like it can take an emotional toll on you you know as you week after week you're reading you're not just re- i'm not just reading these stories like i'm engaging with the families you know with the caregivers or yeah. whoever the, or the person themselves and like they that deserves my attention you know for the first couple of years that yeah you know, after like the first year of doing this first year and a half i started to, it was, i felt like i was like getting really like emotionally wrecked you know especially some of the campaigns we did like you know a child would pass away later on we actually did one campaign where the child passed away like the night before we launched it wow and that re- that takes a toll on, on you i'm not making this about me just so you know like obviously the family but like just doing this week after week like it really you know starts to wear you down and so i realized i for a couple years there i started to build like this wall around my heart you know just um not uh and not not being like um uh what's the word i'm looking for here uh stilted about it in my conversations and not being when i say business like i don't mean it like cold but like i was doing my best not to like really like absorb these stories of these families but i realized that's not really fair because when when a kid beats cancer you know when when somebody ends up on the other side of you know whatever it was they were dealing with that we helped with if i'm gonna think that's awesome and celebrate and feel good well then it's only fair that i invest on the other end of that as well too you know what i mean i'm not allowed to just take the highs like that's that's cheap that's just it's not real and so realized what i was doing and i've just kind of like done my best to you know form relationships with these families as much as i can i mean it's i mean it's rapid fire like week after week but i really in the conversations i have with them i try to have that personal touch at the outset really want to get to know them want them to know me um, I try to explain to them the entire process of like, I always tell them like where every dollar goes, I try to explain to the family so they understand how we're running this operation that we're not just using them as a, a reason to uh, to sell shirts. Like I try to be very clear so that they understand how this whole operation works. Um, I'm I'm babbling at this point. So rein me in, dude. I don't know <laughs> if you've got another question or whatever. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. But. Well, I'll tell you this next week, because again, I have you on every Friday. I kind of want to, spend some time and deep dive a little bit into discussing with you, like some of those personal emotions that go into dealing with these people, because I did, I've thought of that. I'm like, it's one thing, you know, so you're selling the shirts and again, your, your, your company is helping people out, but you kind of hit on it that you're communicating with a lot of these families and stuff and the emotional toll. That's something I definitely, and we'll do that next week. I want to take a little more of a deep dive into like, those personal emotions that go into to the stuff like that. Let's spend a few minutes talking about the Buffalo Bills. Like I said, we talked last week about some re-signings. It turns out that they re-signed all their guys. Well, not all the guys. They, they re-signed their big three. Actually, big four, because we'll count Levi Wallace in that too now. We'll hit on him in a second. The one guy, the one new addition, the noticeable, I should say, notable new addition, again, as of lunch on Thursday, is 
<laughs> Emmanuel Sanders. And here's one thing that I think you were wrong with, I was wrong with, and I think the vast majority of people were wrong with. The Bills cut John Brown, and we talked about that last week, and we said this is about caponomics. This is about money. And I think to some extent that's a little bit true because the Bills did save a lot of money cutting John Brown. That said, though, the Bills signed Emmanuel Sanders for one year, um, $6 million. John Brown signed with the Raiders. He got a one-year deal for 3.75 with some incentives that could bring it close to about $5 million or so. The money with these two guys signed is similar. You have to think that if the Bills prefer John Brown, considering John Brown signed for less than $4 million with the Raiders, if the Bills were to go to John Brown and say, all right, you got to take a pay cut. Instead of making $9 million against the cap this year, we could pay you five and a half, which is the most he'll make with the Raiders. And you have to assume he would have gladly done that. I mean, again, I'm speculating a little bit here, but the point being is this. Emmanuel Sanders, as we've learned a little bit more about the signing and his fit and everything like that, this feels more like a football decision by Brandon Bean than a, we need to slash salary and John Brown is the unfortunate victim here because of his cap number. Because again, the Bills could have kept John Brown for the figure that they paid Emmanuel Sanders. I'm almost positive, unless there's some underlying you know, issue of malcontent between the Bills and John Brown, which none of that's been reported or anything like that. Anyway, point being is that this was as much about football as it was about the salary cap. Um, just wanted to get your comment about Emmanuel Sanders signing with the Bills. You know, you, how you think he's going to fit and uh, what you just think about that situation. Because so far, that's the one notable change in the personnel of this team from last year. So John Brown's out, Emmanuel Sanders is in. What do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I got to give a shout out to Joe Marino with his podcast, Locked on Bills. Um, he did a really good job earlier this week of breaking down Emmanuel Sanders' game uh, and even in comparison to John Brown. And Emmanuel yeah. Sanders has like a 3% drop percentage in his career. That's elite. And the way that Joe also described we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The route running abilities for Emmanuel Sanders was elite. He yeah. said John Brown was Joe's excellent. Great. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, John Brown is excellent. 
but uh, Emmanuel Sanders is elite. Now he's not a big yards after catch guy. You know, he'll get you like the eight to 15 yard catches and there's not a lot of yak associated with that, but this is a, a big upgrade for the bills with the understanding that he's not quite the deep threat speedster that, you know, he doesn't have that ability in so much as John Brown brought it to the table. But when you think of his skill set and what he's going to bring to this offense, it's something to be excited about. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. I'll tell you, and by the way, Joe Marino does an amazing job. I listen to his show almost every day. I, as much as I respect Joe Marino's opinion and Bruce Nolan and anyone else out there, the Joe Biscay, whoever covers the bills. I love it when I see NFL players tweeting about a move. And I, I, I mean, I can't think of the names they escaped off the top of my head, but I can tell you this, man, I seen, and I'm not even talking Buffalo bills. I'm talking NFL players around the NFL got nothing to do with the bills. Lots of people really like this move for the bills because you hit on it, the route running. So you got two of the best, I mean, as a tandem now, we already know Stephon Diggs is one of the best route runners in the NFL. We saw that with our own eyes last year. Emmanuel Sanders is known for being a great route runner. And by the way, I mean, he's, in fact, he just turned 34 years old on St. Patrick's Day on Wednesday. He still puts up some pretty decent numbers too. I mean, he had 61 catches, 726 yards, five touchdowns last year with the Saints, which was one of his least productive seasons. Over the last few years. Yeah, he's not a guy. He's not going to give you 12, 1,300 yards receiving, which I honestly, he really doesn't need to, man. He hasn't had a 1,000 yard season since 2016, but he's a productive player. And again, and you talked about it, he's not going to burn you down the field like John Brown can, but he's a better route runner. And again, the, the, at the end of the day, this was a football move. It was more of a football move than a cat move. And I think that's one thing that we were, uh, not just us two. I think we were all wrong about. Anyway, another addition, which I don't know about this one, but they signed a punter, Matt Hawk. They gave him a three-year deal, $1.8 million per year over three years. And they didn't tender Corey Bohorquez. Are you a little bit surprised about that? Because it would have only cost the Bills three hundred more, uh, $300,000 more to, to keep Bohorquez compared to what they paid Matt Hawk. Now, I'm no punting expert, pretty confident Del Rey's not either. But I don't know, man. I liked I liked Corey Bohorquez last year. He was a boomer, whereas this guy's a little more finesse. That's the only thing I've heard. I mean, I'm like, I don't expect you to have a lot of insightful comments about punters, but is this kind of a move that surprises you a little bit that they didn't bring Corey back? It did, yeah, because you think of, you know, where he ranked in the league last year now again another shout out to to joe uh marino and his podcast he did a pretty good job of breaking down the differences between the two uh the two punters and the way he described matt hawk was he's more he has a much lower touchback percentage much lower touchback 
percentage than Corey Bajorquez. Corey's more of a, a big leg boomer guy. Um, and the Hawk is a little bit more of, you know, pin the, pin the, their team back uh, better. But uh, so for the bills, which went for it quite a bit on fourth down last season, it makes you wonder if having that in his back pocket is going to encourage, you know, Sean McDermott maybe to kick more often than he did in 2020. We'll see. Hope not. But, yeah. To answer your question. <laughs> yeah, I know. We all hope not. We all hope not. But um, to answer your, your question. Yeah. That did surprise me because I thought that Bork has, you know, had done nothing to, you know, warrant a, an exit from the team. But as you mentioned, I'm not a punting expert, so you gotta just you gotta trust the powers that be in a case like this. Yeah, this is absolutely one of those cases where trust that they know what they're doing. I mean, they watched Corey Bohorquez punt. The numbers were great. Maybe there was something about it that they didn't like. Maybe and this is something I I mean, I'm I don't know Matt Hawk whatsoever, okay? In fact, I pronounced his name wrong five or six times, so someone finally corrected me. (laughs) So (laughs) just being honest with you. But another thing too that matters is uh holding. The punter is probably going to hold for kicks. Maybe that matters. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe they weren't happy with Corey Borges holding, you know, the way he was holding. Maybe they had some issues last year with the Tyler Bass. In fact, we saw that. Who knows? But any, anyway, like you said, man, this is one, one of those. Go ahead. Say one key point. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I suck at podcasts. But, like, one key point <laughs> is, um, and this is true for every player at every position. We see the plays on Sunday. The coaching staff, the general managers, front office, they see the plays Monday through Saturday or whatever, you know, at practice. We don't see all the practice, but we don't, we don't know how many, you know, punts, you know, Bork has shanked in practice. I'm not saying he did. I'm just, you know, if for the example, or we don't know how many, you know, balls John Brown dropped in practice. Again, not saying he did, but you, you understand what I'm saying? Like we, right, we only yeah, see yeah, 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 a very sure. small percentage of the player's performance as opposed to what the – the, the coaching staff sees. And I think that most fans, myself included, often forget that. Well, it's one of those situations, and we talked about this a little bit last week, where trust in the organization means everything. Bills, Sabres. The Bills do something you trust is going to work out. The Sabres do something you're confident that is not going to work out. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to like everything they do. You know, if there's a move that you don't like, you criticize it. You know, you don't have to agree with everything. It's it's pretty weak to just say, no matter what move it is, oh, I trust Brandon B no matter what. That, that, that's not necessarily true. You don't have to agree with every single thing. But when it comes to stuff like this where you really don't see much evidence or you don't have much to be able to present to say that, all right, Corey Bohorquez is so much better for this organization than Matt Hawk. This is one of those, let's just trust the organizations. Maybe they're looking for a different kind of punter, a little more finesse, something. And, and, dude, we're talking, we spent way too much time talking about punters. All right. Hopefully this team doesn't punt. I, I think Josh Allen had more touchdowns than Corey Bark has had punts last year, if my memory serves me correctly. But my first thought was thoughts and prayers, Reed Ferguson, because that was his boy, man. I've had Reed on the show. Corey Bark is his yeah. boy, man. So that was my first thought. I'm like, I feel really bad for Reed. That was my first one too. I think Corey actually stood up in Reed's wedding. So <laughs> yeah. that's the first thing I, I, I thought of. Um, so, but you know, NFL, it's a business, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's it is a business, but it's hard too. You know, sometimes we don't think about the, those type of things. Like some of these guys become really close, best friends. You just say, ah, shit, man, you're in each other's weddings and guys get cut. And we only see the, 
you know, the, the team aspect or the, the financial aspect of these moves. But yeah, man, it's a good point. Sometimes it, uh, sometimes it hurts to lose your boys like that, man. It sucks. What are you going to do though? Uh, a couple guys signed with other teams. Quinn and Jefferson, who was cut by the bills signed with the Raiders one year deal. Ty and Secchi, who he really didn't never got a chance to do much with Buffalo. But anyway, he, he was here for the last two years. He signed with the Dallas Cowboys for one year. Good veteran backup. I liked him. A um, couple more things. Lee Smith. I'm stunned right now that, so all the talk was Lee Smith's getting cut or Lee Smith's retiring. One or the other. Lee Smith ended up getting traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, granted, it's for a 2022 seventh rounder. But just one of those situations where, uh, how does Brandon Bean get anything for Lee Smith? And I like Lee Smith. Don't get me wrong. But he wasn't going to be on this team. The Bills saved $2.25 million. They were getting rid of him, and they ended up getting something for him. So, I don't know. It's just a, a tip of the cap, I guess, to Brandon. I mean, not really much to say about Lee Smith because he wasn't in the future. But Levi Wallace resigned, and I think it's just a one-year deal. But I like this deal, man. Did you, How do you feel about Levi Wallace? I, I know sometimes on Twitter he's the punching bag for the defense. Someone always has to be. But I'm good with this move because I don't think it eliminates drafting someone else high in the draft. I don't think it eliminates potentially signing another veteran corner. But if if Levi Wallace is like your floor, if he's the worst you're going to do as a starter, he's at least serviceable. So I'm going to assume that you're good and you're happy with uh, this resigning as well for no other reason than that. Yeah, absolutely. Experience in the system you know, teammate, he's not terrible. Like a lot of people on Twitter would have you believe. Um, he, he was, you know, he had his moments for, you know, yeah. And for a lot of, I mean, he was CB two for quite a, quite a few different outings over the past couple of years. And so, um, I think that it's almost imperative. They brought him back. I was surprised when they didn't even tender him, but then I realized the cap and the money and all that stuff. But like, um, it was, uh, I'm, I'm glad they brought him back and it doesn't preclude them from doing anything at the position, but why would you create that hole there when you've got a, a player who is like you said, at the, at the, the, his floor is serviceable, you know, and, and he's not, I don't think he's, he deserves to be the punching bag that he is. You no, know, it's a, not at it's all. A league, it's a league. Yeah. It's a league that, that benefits the offense and corners are going to, to have tough games. I, I mean, I'm not here to tell you that he's, you know, a future six time pro bowl or all pro or whatever, but like, I'm glad he's on the team. Worst case scenario as things stand right now, you're, you have yourself a Levi Wallace versus Dane Jackson training camp battle for CB two. And that says things stand right now. It, again, it doesn't exclude them from adding to the position. And in fact, I'm quite confident that they will. In fact, because I, I, Levi Wallace is a veteran, but he is also 25 years old. The Bills ammo the last couple of years, and I'm wondering if they're going to do this again. Again, free agency is only, what, a day and a half into it right now as, as we take this. The Bills usually bring in a veteran to fill that CB2 role, or at least have them compete. Yep. Josh Norman, Kevin Johnson, EJ Gaines. So they, they've done this the last couple of years. It wouldn't surprise me. If they're still in the market, Dante for Davis. 
Vontae Davis. Davis. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. But it's Levi Wallace is, I don't even want to say your backup plan because it makes it sound like the guy sucks. But again, if that's his floor, you're good with that. You know, you're good with that position. If that's as bad as it's going to get, you're okay with that. Like if you're tight end position and potentially Lee Smith had to be your starter, you're not okay with that. But Levi Wallace, at worst case, being the CB2, which I like Dane Jackson a lot, by the way. But I like the fact that they're not going to yeah. give him anything. He's going to have to earn his keep there. I like the move. I, I really do. I think the Bills are being methodical right now. The bulk of this work was done last week, bringing their guys back, their key guys. Yep. Which, Del, look, so this team is bringing back most of starters. Again, you could sub out Sanders and Brown. This team's not getting better so much on paper in terms of improvement. You're like, well, what, what's the 2021 Bills at this point as we tape this? What's better than the 2020 Bills? On paper, nothing. But here's the deal, man. If the Bills are going to get past Kansas City and get to a Super Bowl, it's going to be the guys that they already have, their younger core players, improving on what they've been last year that's going to make the Buffalo Bills even better than they were last year. Guys like Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, he made the Pro Bowl last year, but we all watched. He, he could have been much better. Guys like that, Cody Ford, Dawson Knox, younger guys, Gabriel Davis. These guys who showed a lot of promise, who might in some cases already be, and I'm using air quotes here, good, but there's plenty of room for improvement. That's what's going to make the Bills a better football team is having those younger guys improve. Brandon Bean's philosophy clearly is, I want to keep as much of this team intact and these young guys will grow. And then the guys like Stephon Diggs and Poyer and Hyde and Trey White, they play like they're supposed to. That's how this team gets even better than being a 13-3 and team that made the AFC championship game. It's not going to be throwing money all over the place and adding five or six, seven free agents. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. The team is already there. They just need to get over the hump. And it's a big hump. <laughs> but um, it doesn't require an overhaul. There might be tweaks here and there. And experience gained. I mean, these, you know, these are, this is a young team. This is, they're going to improve. And um, you, know, you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. Dude played hurt for the, the large portion of the season last year. Um, it, there's just there's so much room for improvement, even in um, – the roster as it is right now. I don't mean that negatively. I mean that in such like these players are only going to progress and get better. You would hope. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just excited to see it. And one thing, one name that we haven't mentioned is star Latule uh, coming back for the 2021 season. That's a big yeah. deal. And Oliver was playing out of position because they didn't have star yeah. and uh, star returning. That's a, that, that's a big deal. It is. And if you want to look at, well, who's new, Throw him on there. Did he play last year? Nope. So as far as I'm concerned, he was a free agent and the Bills signed him. You could look at it that way. Even Cody Ford, he didn't even play half the season. Yeah. And he he was hurt. So in a way, you kind of got two new guys who really weren't a major part of the team last year. But yeah, they're building within and I love it. Now a team that's not building within, I just want to spend a minute talking about that. We have to talk about the Patriots. I mean, good God. They're trying to catch the Bills and... They're in dangerous territory because 
we've all seen this before as Bills fans, and we see it every year with teams in the NFL who just throw money around recklessly in free agency. It feels like it should work because you're adding five, six good players, but it just never seems to work that way. Never seems to work that way. The Patriots are throwing money all over the place, man. Did Buffalo Bills fans, did you expect this offseason coming into it thinking that the most successful coach in the history of the NFL, I'm talking about Bill Belichick, of course, dude's about to be 69 years old and shit. You think he was going to get swept by the Bills last year, completely embarrassed on Monday Night Football, like just a couple days after Christmas. I mean, they embarrassed the Bills. I mean, the Patriots. He had to watch Tom Brady win a Super Bowl, first year going to Tampa Bay. Did we think for better or worse, that Bill Belichick was not going to come out this offseason aggressive as hell and swinging for the fence. This shouldn't surprise me this, or you, does it? Uh, a, a, a little bit. No, I mean, like, just in terms of how, quote, swinging for the fence has been executed, you know, it, it's they, – they spent a lot of money, which they've not done traditionally, but traditionally they've also not had an absence of – the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, they haven't, <laughs> they, haven't roster, so. they haven't needed to do what they are doing now because when you had Tom Brady and when you were winning, guys came to New England for less. We're starting to see that with Buffalo. Levi Wallace told his agent, it was or his agent said, "Don't even counter offers. I don't even want you to to counter any offers. I want to be in Buffalo. They're going to win a Super Bowl." And That's I actually, awesome. I, well, I believe it was said too because he he didn't get tendered. You would think he. I mean, it's only what, 24, 48 hours into free agency? He could have waited out for a better deal. He wanted to be in Buffalo. That's proof. Anyway, that's the way it used to be in New England. Ain't like that no more, though. I mean, <laughs> I was don't, I am concerned about the tight ends, though. And it would be, I think Bills fans are being very, I use the word homeristic sometimes, being homers. If you're telling me that Hunter Henry and, and Jonu Smith before free agency, the Bills fans would have clamped. We did. We clamored for either of those guys. Patriots got both. And let's not forget this. You know this. The Bills don't exactly defend tight ends great. So um, I am a little concerned about that. They traded for Trent Brown, their left tackle. They got him back. They signed two wide receivers. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. Neither are world beaters. But you know what? They do specific things pretty well. Yeah, they're not bums. <laughs> Kyle Van Noy is back he's a good linebacker mm -hmm. Matthew Judo he gets after the quarter, the quarterback Dante Hightower is back after sitting out last year for COVID New England's not going quietly this year I'm telling you I, I told you this before free agency and, and this is kind of proof they're embarrassed last year Bill's not going to probably be around for that much longer you don't want to sit through no four or five year youth rebuild they're tooling up to try to beat the Bills right now it's going to make for a fun season. I think it is anyway. Yeah, you know, you think about uh, the, the, the position of quarterback. I, I wonder if Cam Newton is, you know, final answer uh, if, for them. I don't think he is. We'll see. And also, it, 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 but you, you do think he is? I don't think he is. Oh, yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But, you know, you have to remember, too, though, dude had COVID, and – we make light of it, like, oh, he's out for a couple of weeks, you know, but that has given some people some long reaching effects. Um, athletes are not exempt from that. So um, I don't know if I read conjecture or if it was something, you know, in an interview with him. So forgive me, but 
there was a lot of speculation at the very least that, you know, his COVID diagnosis that he got like a third of the way into the season or whatever it was, um, could have affected the rest of us this season. So we, we don't know where that's going to, where it's going to land, but, um, they're definitely a quarterback away at this point now. <laughs> They're doing the Patriots, at least on paper. And you're right. For some Bills fans, I see kind of just writing off like, oh, that the fact that they got Hunter Henry and John o. Smith. If the Bills had signed Hunter Henry and John o. Smith, then we'd be punching our tickets to wherever the next Super Bowl is going to be. You're you're right. And it's also, you know, another thing, Dell, we'd be happy. And it's also the contracts. And let's be honest here. When it's a Bills guy, you're like, well, we can work this out this and that whenever someone signs with another team and, and the money's high, it's always like, Oh, it's way too much money. And done that. <laughs> that's, that's what being a homer is all about. Cause I'm going to tell you right Absolutely. now, I don't care what their contracts were. If you could have had Hunter Henry or John Smith, I don't give a shit what the money ended up being for new England. You would have signed up for that in a second. I would have signed up for that in a second. And any bills fan out there <laughs> would have signed up for that in a second. The Patriots to me, when you, you talked about Cam Newton here, one or two things I see with this team, either they're going to have like that old school offense, which hasn't really, this is a pass happy league. Like the bills like to have four wide receivers spread it around and throw the ball all the time. The chiefs, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, we see a lot of teams that are like that right now. They're either going to be a team that really wants to dominate and run the football and throw to their tight ends using the middle of the field a lot, which the personnel suggests that's what they're trying to do. Play really good defense. Again, their defense wasn't terrible last year. And they got Hightower back. And they got Van Noy. They got Judo. They got a good defensive tackle from Miami. So this defense has been replenished pretty goddamn good already. And we're only in March. So they're either going to do that with Cam Newton because Cam can run. But if they're talking, you're talking about throwing the football, he can't throw the football. He's terrible. I'm telling you right now. And I, I get the COVID thing, but he's just not a good passer to football. And he hasn't been in a while. I mean, he's throwing the ball at people's ankles. They're either going yeah. to keep Cam and really design an offense that's just going to try to be power football, the quarterback can run the ball and throw to your tight ends a ton, or Cam's not going to be there as a starter, at least on day one. That contract, and I kind of overreacted too when I saw it. One year, $14 million, I'm like, holy shit. Well, there's your quarterback. Not necessarily true, though, because only like $5 million of that is between guarantees and his base salary for being on the roster. The other nine million are like for incentives, like making the Pro Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, stuff like that. They could very easily still go out and get a veteran quarterback or drafting one of these uh top prospects. And there's still people out there we don't know. It's early. Things have Jimmy Garoppolo's still out there. Uh, Gardner Minshew. Maybe they trade for somebody like him. Uh, never count like the Raiders. Derek Carr. You. Uh, my point is. I don't think it's settled whatsoever that Cam Noonan is clearly the QB one for this team. It's way too early to say that in March. All that said, all those quarterback names you said don't scare me. <laughs> no, they don't scare me, but I think they get, they're better passers of the football. I'll tell you this. There were two quarterbacks who I did not want New England to get. And maybe you won't laugh, but a lot of fans will laugh. I did not want them to sign Annie Dalton, who ended up going to the Bears. And people laugh at that. I don't know why they laugh at that. I think Andy Dalton's a pretty decent quarterback. He can throw the football. I think he took the Bengals to the playoffs like five times. I didn't want him in New England. Bum. And our boy, man, who's never going to retire, Fitzmagic. I didn't want him going to New England. I'm glad he's he went to Washington, which, by the way, 
They're going to be a lot of fun this year. They got Curtis Samuel, too. They already have McLaurin. Really good receivers. Their defense is good. I like Washington in the NFC next year. But anyway, those are guys compared to Cam Newton are way better at throwing the football. I'm not scared of the Patriots right now. And I don't think the Bills are either. I think the Bills are looking more at the Kansas City Chiefs and they're looking at the Patriots right now. They're not going to look back. But my, the only point I'm trying to make is New England kind of just laid down last year. You know, they were, they, they stunk. And it was just one of those ugly years. You almost forgot that they were so dominant for 20 years. They're not going quietly this time. Is what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. You could see that, right? Yeah, well said, actually. Uh, all, all, all points. All points. We'll move on and we'll wrap up with our segments here. Same three as last week. One is fun with polls. I only got one this week. This was a great one. Bruce Nolan put this out on his Twitter. Got roughly 2,000 votes. I thought it was a fascinating poll. He asked, who do you think is the best unrestricted free agent signing of the Bean McDermott era? Four choices were Micah Hyde, Daryl Williams, Jordan Poyer, or Cole Beasley. And the poll ended up, and again, roughly 2,000 votes, a dead tie. Micah Hyde, and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer both at 34%. Cole Beasley was third with 26%. Daryl Williams only 6%. Last week, I remember the polls and telling you how I completely disagreed with the majority and I was in the minority in both. This one, I don't, honestly, is there really a wrong answer here? <laughs> They're all really good signings. That's a stumper because depending on what angle you want to look at it from, I mean, that's I, that's just a testament to Brandon Bean. You know, I mean, those are four good signings that he has, you know, uh, to his credit. My first so, thought, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful problem. <laughs> it is. And my first thought was Daryl Williams doesn't belong in this category with these three because he's only had a good season. But as I thought about it more, I'm like, you know what? He plucked him from obscurity in a way, gave him just a one-year, $2.5 million prove-it deal, and he proved it, and now he just got a handsome three-year contract. So he very much belongs. That's the epitome of what a great unrestricted free agent signing is. When you sign somebody like a Jonu Smith or a Hunter Henry and give them all that money, they better be damn good. They have to be damn good just to be worth the money that you spent. The Bills didn't even pay $3 million to get Daryl Williams and they got their right tackle, not just for last year, but for the foreseeable future. That's a great move. We already know about Cole Beasley, and what he's brought to this offense. Employer and Hyde. It's hard to imagine this defense without these safeties. They're so good that it's so easy to get taken for granted. And I know a lot of people around the league take them for granted because they're rarely talked about as one of the best safety tandems in the NFL. And they absolutely are one of the best safety tandems in the NFL. But anyway, yeah, that poll was dead, dead on tide. Poyer and Hyde, great poll. And as it should be though, because they're like they're a package deal, you know, in so many ways. But if you had to choose one, deal. if you had to choose one, which one would you take? On the preface that it would not be easy to do because they're both very good. But if you had to pick one of those, who would you pick? I'd pass it on to the staff and cover one and tell me who to pick because they watch so much more film and understand so much more <laughs> of the intricacies. Just being real, man. I, I, real. I think I would I, 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 I would take Hyde. It would be very, very tough. I, again, I'm happy with any four of those. 
I think he's just, I, I think he's brought in a lot of leadership. By the way, we didn't talk about this. Jordan Poyer took a lot of guts to do what he did last week. Come out about suffering with uh, alcohol and telling his story. That was, uh, that was, that was really cool for him. I'm sure, you know, I'm not trying to sound corny. I'm being serious. It's going to help people. You know, other people who struggle with stuff like that, having yep. a guy that a lot of people admire come out and and open themselves up and be vulnerable and, and talk about it. I think that helps a lot, a lot of people. So props to him. Second Absolutely. last thing, second last thing we did this last week, we're gonna do it every week. Today's years old. Tell me something since I talked to you last week until now that you never knew you were today's years old when you learned this. What do you got for this week? Okay, so I'm not I'm not really doing a great job with this segment. I'm gonna do better next week, but I can only speak from the past week, man. And um, it's, I'm gonna piggyback off what I said last week about pinched nerves. <laughs> you know, my follow up is chiropractic care is revolutionary, man. I, <laughs> you know, there's people out there that'll tell you that they're, you know, whether it's a fake or soothsayers or just whatever, man. I tell you what, my chiropractor that I've been going to now uh, these past, you know, Tuesday and today life-changing it's been great <laughs> you know it's funny i i i can't personally attest to that because i've never been to a Cairo. however my son goes to a Cairo sometimes gets a little banged up from football and he would definitely agree with you every single time he walks in there and i'm like god damn because this just costs him like i don't know 60 70 dollars for 15 minutes i'm not happy about it but he walks out of that building he feels like a million bucks every single time so it's money well spent. I'll tell you what I am. I'm today's years old when I've learned that there is exactly one blockbuster video open in this country, in the whole nation. I thought blockbuster died years ago. There's actually one blockbuster franchise that's still open. It's in Bend, Oregon. I watched a documentary Wednesday night, St. Patrick's Day night. I spent watching a Netflix documentary called The Last Blockbuster. And it was a really, it was kind of fascinating anyway. It was just about how big Blockbuster got, how it started, how they blew it, and how places or, or, or companies like Netflix and streaming and stuff like that eventually um, did them under. But I thought they were, I thought that was extinct. And it's not. There were four or five franchises as of a couple of years ago, but they all went under except for one. And that one is in, Ben Oregon, and it's kind of famous out there. People like go to travel there just to go to that one blockbuster. Did you know that? <laughs> I knew there was one left. I'd read that a couple of years ago, and I think they just did a documentary about it or whatever. But yeah, I think that's what you're saying. But they, um, yeah, I don't. That's I don't mean this in any negative way, but that's so America, right? You know, like, oh, let's let's go see the last blockbuster. You know, let's go to the, the let's go to the very first Starbucks or you know whatever. It's just kind of like. This is crazy. So I, I guess my question is, because I'm not going to watch the documentary because, again, too much content in the world. But um, is it owned by Wayne Hazanga, the guy that owned the whole change? Nope. Did they mention that? Nope. It is owned. So it's a private. It's owned privately. It's a family, kind of a family-run blockbuster. Wayne got out of the business a while ago. Okay. When they were at their lowest, like, from what I understand from the documentary, back in 2008, when the stock market completely crashed, that's what ultimately killed Blockbuster because they didn't, yeah. they didn't have the funding and the money to, to spend to, to go on and, and do what they needed to do. Anyway, um, 
not dish. Yeah, Dish Network purchased them for like literally pennies oh. on a dollar. So Dish Network actually owns that one blockbuster, and the a woman runs it, has to lease it through them every year. And there was a lot of drama at the end of this, which by the way, it's a it's a pretty cool documentary if, if anyone wants to check it out. She has to call them every year to renew the lease. And there was a lot of drama if they were going to do it. In the end, they did end up doing it. So her store is still open. But I don't know. I'm going to, how, like, we're rough. I'm a little, I'm older than you, but not a ton older than you. I'm a very, like, I like nostalgia. Were you, like, growing up, were you, like, a blockbuster person? Like, were you constantly out there renting videos at places? Because I was. So that's kind of what drew me into watching this to begin with. My family was, um, I remember every Friday night we'd go to video factory and which was a, a chain here in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd, I think we'd rent three movies. We used to get together with my aunt and uncle, like every Friday night you know, and, uh, our two families would, you know, hang out and order pizza wings. And we'd always rent like three movies, uh, something, usually two, actually, sometimes a, a bonus third that, you know, we'd watch the next day or whatever, but. Uh, got introduced to a lot of movies that way, you know, Breakfast Club, Karate Kid, um, so so many movies, so many bad movies too, so many bad movies. But yeah, Video Factory, right on Delaware, just south of Kenmore Ave. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's it's across from a Quick Fill or I don't know what it's now. It's like ch Computers for Children or whatever they call it now, next to the YMCA. Used to go there every week. I am a. Uh... I, I miss, and again, I, I'm one of those people, I, maybe I was me getting to that age where like, I'm not old guy, I'm yelling on my lawn quite yet, but I'm that guy who's always telling like my son how things used to be, you know, when I was a kid, this and that, because nowadays, I mean, it is really cool to have Netflix and pretty much any movie in the world you want to watch, you can watch it with a couple of clicks of, of your remote control. That's cool, but I kind of miss the physical aspect of, Growing up and going to Blockbuster, taking you and your girlfriend. In a way, I was telling my wife this. Like, I, I grew up on the West Side and there was a Blockbuster on Elwood Avenue. And it's like, one way to know who was dating each other in the neighborhood was to go to Blockbuster on a Friday or Saturday night. Because if you were dating your girl, you guys would go to, the, to a Blockbuster together yeah. and, and go pick out some movies. I was like, that's how you knew people were dating because you had to go outside together and do something as opposed to now just staying home, Netflix and chill. You used to have to be you know, blockbuster and chill, but you physically had to take your ass to the store. So that was one way you would always know, you know, who's dating who is just by being at a blockbuster. Uh, pretty cool. Anyway, That's all right, l last thing, and this is kind of connected to blockbuster because blockbuster became a big thing in the 80s with VHS tapes. So we do our Dell's Faye Five. That's where you're going to list your top five of something random every week. Last week, it was chocolate bars. This week, again, piggybacking off Blockbuster, I'm going to ask you your favorite 80s movies. I need five from the 80s. Okay, this is tough because you, we're talking about 10 years of movies. Yes. Um, I entered the 80s as a five-year-old and, you know, I left as a you know 15-year-old, right? So probably a lot of movies that are earlier in the decade that maybe I missed out on. Uh, so I'm like... I did my best not to skew towards 1989 per much just because that's when, you know, right. I started like paying attention. So did my best and I'm totally breaking the rules here. I'm going alphabetical because if you want to just for the, for our purposes, you want to say, Oh, 
Back to the Future is number one, then fine, Back to the Future is number one, but it's really because it's B-A. But Fair enough. So I'll, I'll run through it that way. So Back to the Future, definitely in the top five. That's a good one. Today. But then tomorrow's top five might be different, and I think of other things. Breakfast Club, great movie. Um, I love that movie. John Nelson, I thought, was the coolest guy in, in the world when I was you know, nine years old or ten years old whenever I saw it. Probably mm-hmm. too young to see it, but I saw it. Um, so the next would be Princess Bride. That is... Probably, maybe that might be number one. If I had to actually, you know, like talk through it, like Princess Bride is a classic movie, timeless. I remember my daughter being probably seven or eight and she didn't want to watch it. And, and my wife and I uh, basically had said, you are watching this movie. We're watching this movie tonight. We don't care if you want to see it. You're going to love it. That's my wife's and number so now, one. That, that would be my wife's number one as well, by the way. Dude, it's an absolute classic. Something for the entire family, right? The, the humor, the action, everything is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so now to this day, whenever we suggest something and she's like, eh, that's always our fall, our, our fallback. Remember the princess bride? You didn't trust us on that. And look what happened. So just trust <laughs> us. So, um, next is stand by me, which is a great movie. Uh, a Stephen King movie, which is not really doesn't feel like a Stephen King movie. Great story. Great coming of yeah. age thing. And then, and then um, did I even see a movie in the eighties? If I don't mention Top Gun. So those would be my five. You know, what's crazy. And you're so right. Cause it's so hard to take a whole decade and condense it in the five. Every movie you said, I legitimately love every single movie that you said. I've watched them over and over, but here's the thing. My top five, I don't have any of yours in my top five. And I love <laughs> good, every good. single movie you said. I really legitimately do. It's hard. It's hard, man. If I went through, if I went through it again, I'd probably come up with five different movies. It is hard. So at five, I'm not even sure. Cause this wasn't that popular about last night. It was with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore and Jim Belushi. I don't know if you ever saw that. That, that was a really good movie. It was kind of like a, a love story, Rob Lowe and Demi Moore. They kind of hooked up and fell in love, but then they broke up, you know, it's just a, you know, that typical theory. But it, it was it was really good. I love that movie a lot. Uh, speaking of Rob Lowe and Demi Moore, because they were in my number four movie too, St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> love that movie. That cast was unbelievable. Judd Nelson and Andrew McCarthy. God, I mean, I have so many people. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought because there's too many stars. I can't even remember how many. God damn. Andy McDowell. Like oh everybody my was God. That, that was such an amazing movie. So that would be four for me. Number three. Between the movie and also because of the soundtracks, my favorite movie soundtrack ever is Footloose. I love Footloose. And that's one of those movies that I think everyone either loves it or hates it. I love it. Awesome movie. Love Kevin Bacon in it. Love the the premise of it, even though it was cheesy. But I mean, the 80s were supposed to be cheesy. And again, the soundtrack, nothing to me is better than uh, the Footloose soundtrack. Number two, Rocky Three. <laughs> I don't know what it is about... I've had this, I've had this argument with so many people so many times. People always, I'm sure you've been asked to rate all the Rocky movies. Rocky three is number one for me. And it's number one for me for so many reasons. Cause so many things happen. You get Mickey dies, which is spoiler alert. There are 20, uh, what is it, 40, <laughs> 40, 39 years later, there's a spoiler alert. Mickey dies. I still cry to this day. Every time I watch that scene, I still cry, but you had that. You had Rocky and Apollo, the bitter rivals, getting together and reuniting. You had great music. I had the tiger. You had Clubber Lang, a brand new character. 
You had that inspirational Adrian getting Rocky out of his funk speech on the beach when Rocky just wasn't in the training anymore and that kind of turned everything around. Just loved everything about that movie. As much as I loved Rocky 1 and 2, and I'm a couple years older than you, they kind of felt old to me, those movies. The way they were put together. Like, I remember seeing Rocky 3 at the movies theaters and the shit just felt so modern, you know, commercialized. It, it felt current as opposed to 1 and 2. So anyway, that's number 2. Number 1 is kind of, not only is it my favorite movie, I think it's the most underrated, under-the-radar movie of the 80s. That's with my boy Patrick Dempsey, Can't Buy Me Love. I don't even know if you've seen that movie. Do you remember that movie? He's the nerd. Yeah, I remember. He saves, up, all, he saves up his um, lawn-cutting money to get a girl to pretend that she's dating him just so he can be cool. But then he sees the is error of his ways. Is that delivery movie or is that different? Um, it's, it's not. He wasn't a pizza delivery boy. He wasn't a pizza delivery boy. He cut lawns and saved up his money to go to college. But he, and he was going to get a tele, I think he was going to get a telescope. He was going to buy a telescope. That's what he saved his money for. But then the girl who's, um, Cindy in the movie, Amanda Peterson, the actress, she ruined her mom's jacket and she was upset because she couldn't do anything about it. So he gave her the money that he was saving to buy uh, his telescope to her so she can get the new suede jacket to replace the one that, that was her mom's that she took from her. And she agreed to date him in exchange so he could be cool and popular because he was the nerd in school. And then he became really popular. But then he started treating his boys like shit. They were fellow nerds. This is, I mean, it's, you know, it's that typical 80s cheesy premise, but I just... <laughs> you're, you're ready to teach a master class on this movie. <laughs> uh, God, I, listen, I could do a weekly podcast with nothing except 80s movies or 80s music. I literally could uh, talk about them every week from, from beginning to end. I looked it up. It was Loverboy. Loverboy was the movie that he was in where he was the pizza delivery guy. Loverboy. I got to, you know what? Now I'm going to, I don't even know if I've seen that. That's embarrassing I if I haven't. In the 80s. Ugh. I might have to watch that. Or at least I'm going to have to watch it again because if I've seen it, it's been so long that I, I don't remember it. But Anyway, everyone give Dell a follow on Twitter at Del Reed. Support the cause this week. Being the builder. Great shirt, man. I'll put a link to all that stuff in, uh, in the show notes as well. We're getting this down packed, but it's going to take us a couple weeks to really get our chemistry together. We'll tighten it up. But anyway, give him a follow on Twitter. Check out being the builder of the shirt. And uh, as always, bro, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy doing these, man. Let's keep it, let's keep it up. Let's, we'll, we'll figure this all out with the, the back and forth. It's good stuff. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you one more time, Del Reed. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Del Reed. Check out 26shirts.com. Brand new shirt every week. Always for a great cause. And I'll tell you what, man. Always a cool looking shirt. Like, I ain't seen a shirt that's been out in months that I wouldn't love to have on my chest when I'm walking around. It looks really cool. So make sure you go check all that out, folks. If you have not yet subscribed again, I said this at the beginning, please go ahead and do that right now. Subscribe, rate, and review. Really helps me continue to grow this show. Uh, you can get it on Apple, and Stitcher, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, 
pretty much everywhere at this point. So subscribe, rate and review, follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. I probably should have said it at the top, but I didn't. At Pat Moran Tweets, I'm constantly tweeting out updates about this podcast and some promos and upcoming guests and clips from the show and sports talk, pop talk, pop culture talk, I should say. All kinds of stuff going on there. I live on Twitter, man. At Pamaran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I mean it. So many good shows out there. So much competition. It's so fierce. And when your ears are on this show for 20 minutes, 40, 60, 80, whatever it may be, means the world to me, man. I'm humbled, humbled truly to, to have your attention in your ears. It means a lot. So thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. I'll be back with a brand new episode on Tuesday. You know what? I don't know. I might be back with a brand new episode on Saturday, Sunday, or Monday before that too. So make sure you subscribe and check it out.